Amen. Open your Bible, please, to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. How many are glad that you're in the house of the Lord tonight? Say a good hearty amen. amen. Would anybody like to go to jail instead? Well, okay. But would you go to jail if someone would say, church or stay home? Would you go to church risking the fact that you'd be arrested and thrown in jail, yes or no? I'd like to think some of you would. Paul and Silas did. They they just started a jail ministry, hallelujah. Serve God wherever you are at. Well, I certainly don't want to offend anybody. I I say things sometimes, it just seems like I am the best at saying things that gets misinterpreted or misunderstood. And you would think by now I could do it perfectly, but I still mess up from time to time. My intent is good, so if I offend you, don't let me offend you. Take it out on your preacher. He's he's able to take it. I'm reminded of a man that his wife wanted to go on a, a 25th anniversary and he was kind of low-keyed he didn't want to go anywhere he just he he was an introvert she was extroverted and and finally she saw that they were having a high school reunion and so she said you know for my anniversary the only thing I'd like to do is just go to the high school reunion well he didn't want to go it was going to be a big dance he wasn't into dancing he wasn't into people but she just said oh you know that's I'd really like to go and he could tell that really meant something to her so he consented to go. They went to their 25th high school reunion, and she got to see all her friends, and he just sort of hung out on the side and, and smiled and shook hands with people. And, but all of a sudden, the high school quarterback broke out into a dance. The entire floor cleared out, and there he was in the center of the room, breakdancing doing backflips, doing dances out of the 60s and 50s. I mean, he was putting on a show. And so his wife came over to him and stood by him while the man, she said, you see that guy out there? He said, yeah, who can't? She said, he asked me to marry him, and I turned him down so that I could marry you. He said, well, it looks like he's still celebrating. I'm not sure he meant it exactly like it came out, but so don't let me offend you. We have kind of focused on 2 Chronicles 7.14 in an indirect way, have we not? God said to his people really at a high point in their history, knowing that human nature, men are prone to wander. Isn't that what the songwriter said? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. And so God instructed them, giving them a a, a formula in advance. In case they wandered from the Lord, they're going to be chastened of the Lord. They're going to suffer things that they would not suffer if they would just be obedient to the Lord. But knowing human nature, God gave them a formula of how to be healed. He said, if my people 
which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. And we all in agreement acknowledge the fact that we need to see revival, not only in our country, really throughout the entire world. But being Americans, we are sensitive to the country that we live in. We are not proud to be Americans because, quite frankly, pride goeth before destruction. Many churches have that we've been in, we've seen Christians that are more upset about the condition of America than the condition of their own life. And upset with the condition of America more so than the condition of their own life. America, if she ever was great, was not great because of her own intellect or her own abilities. She was great because God blessed America. The Bible says, Righteousness exalts any, A-N-Y, any nation. And we have been blessed to be a part of a nation that was founded on the word of God. So our country started off right and it's drifted from time to time and drifted from time to time. But today we see that our country is way off the mark. But don't don't write America off. As bad as we are, I, I, I don't want to get into comparisons on how wicked we can become, but just consider Jonah. He preached to Nineveh. And if you re, re, uh, read the historical records of Nineveh, Nineveh was a wicked, wicked nation. You couldn't even read some of the accounts in a, in a mixed audience. And if God can use a backslidden preacher, Jonah, to preach his word and see an entire nation, Assyria, repent from the king all the way down, then there's hope for America. And folks, it's not how bad America is, but how great our God is. Would you not agree that Ahab was perhaps the most wicked king that we read in scriptures? He married to Jezebel. But you ever read the end of his life? He got it right with God and God forgave him. And so I'm saying to you tonight, don't give up on praying for America. Don't give up praying for your church. Don't give up praying for your family and your home. And don't give up praying for yourself. Tonight we're going to look at the last mention in 2 Chronicles 7 for revival and turn from their wicked ways. And I've selected Joshua chapter 8 because I personally love the book of Joshua. It's one of those books that encouraged me in a certain period of time in my own life. And because of that personal experience, it's been endeared to my heart. And many of you that have been saved any time at all, you remember in Joshua chapter 6, that was a great victory. Remember? That was when Jericho came down. And you talk about an un 
orthodox battle plan. They didn't go in with tanks and missiles and guns. They went in with trumpets and pitchers with a candle in it. And they marched around a wall once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, seven times around, and then they screamed like a bunch of Apache Indians. I'm just saying, this was an unorthodox battle plan. But it showed the power of God. And you and I need to learn right up front, the victories that we're going to see in our life are not because of our great minds, our smooth, charismatic personalities, our, inability, or our abilities to weasel in and out of things. No, if we're going to win battles, it's going to be because we're going to go in the name of the Lord. Joshua 6, what a great chapter. In the Joshua chapter 7, the very next chapter, they, they go up against a little city called Ai. I mean, it was just a puny, it was like going from Goliath to Goliath's great-grandchildren. I mean, this was, this was a small, seemingly weak enemy. In fact, they didn't even send up all their warriors to fight against Ai. But they lost. And they ran. And Joshua, the military leader that he was, and the man of God that he was, he got on his face before the Lord, and he cried out to God, and God pointed out to him there was sin in the camp. Do you remember that? A man had taken some of the spoil from Jericho. He saw all the silver and all the gold, and well, they're just going to burn everything up. Well, that's a waste that could be used. But God said, don't take anything from Jericho. This is going to be your first victory. Everything belongs to the Lord. Anytime you keep sin hid in your life, it's going to mess you up. In fact, there are three unforgivable sins. One is the most damaging. One is the most damnable. One is the most dangerous. And the most dangerous sin is secret sin. And the reason why it's so dangerous, you can't get forgiveness from Men or God, you won't confess it. The reason why it's so dangerous is because you can't get help. And sometimes, let's be honest, we need help to conquer some of the sin we're in. You can confess it, but forsaking it, sometimes you need a little help. That's why Galatians 6.1 says, ye that are spiritual, you help that fallen brother. You help restore them back to fellowship. And you do it in a spirit of meekness. Don't condemn them. Don't criticize them. Help them back up on his feet because it might be you next time. I'm saying to you tonight, Achan, he stole and it hurt the entire nation. Sin terminates the blessing of God. Sin must be confessed and forsaken. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Did you catch the impact of that verse? God says, judge yourself. Don't make God chasten you. When God chastens you, it's not to even the score. It's not for you to pay the penalty. God chastens you to correct your behavior. And once you correct your behavior, God will forgive you and restore you into right fellowship. Sin needs to be taken out of our life. That's why we pray to the Lord, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me because sometimes we cover sin we ignore it because we don't think it's a big thing, but it grows, and it grows, it grows, and before long, it's out of control. That's why we need to confess and forsake it while it's still little. Now, some in this room, you've probably been overtaken by sin at least once in your life. And those of you that can't remember that time, that means you're living in it right now. For a man to say that he has never fallen into sin, 1 John says, he's a liar. We put on our best when we go to church. And quite frankly, we should. But that is not to misrepresent who we are. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian in all the scriptures, said, Oh, wretched man that I am. And just because I got a shirt and tie on tonight, just because my mustache is curled and looks cool, just because I'm holding a Bible and preaching it tonight, doesn't mean that I am not struggling with the temptations that Satan throws at me. It's a battle, folks. Paul said, I die daily. It's not like we get it taken care of in revival service and whoo, we're good for three months. No, the devil will likely meet you and greet you in the parking lot before you leave tonight. The devil hates us. And some have asked God for forgiveness and, and you've gotten it right, but you feel like you can never serve God again. They think they're doing good if they just don't get in the way. We've had members in our church that strayed, come back in, get right with God. They're faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night for our revival services. They're there, but they don't get involved because they feel like they have blown it. But I want you to realize something tonight. Your family and friends may not forgive you very quickly, but God does. Are you listening? And don't criticize those that don't forgive you because I might be one of them. That's human nature. If it was automatic for us to forgive everybody, we wouldn't read in Scripture repeatedly, forgive ye one another, forgive ye one another, forgive ye one another. It's hard for us sinners to forgive other people. It should be easy for those of us that have been forgiven. But our wicked human nature is so full of pride that somehow we think we're God and when someone sins by the way it is against God you ever read Psalm 51 David sinned against Bathsheba sinned against her husband Uriah 
sinned against his family, sinned against his kingdom. And David cried out, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You know why? Because if you live right with God, you'll be right with people. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. First and foremost, we need to be right with God. But once you get right with God, then get back in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some are maybe even dealing with sin today. Judge yourself right here, right now. Don't make God pull out the paddle to spank you. Failure is not final. For a just man, Proverbs 24, 16 says, A just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I know I've read that verse when, <clears throat> when I'm trying to get right with God. and You know how the devil comes and he, he wants to be a theologian and he wants to whisper in your ear, Fallen seven times, my word, you've fallen seven times. Uh, that was years ago, you've fallen seven times. And so you're thinking, oh, man, I'm beyond hope. And then I got to thinking, what, do, what does that verse mean, fall seven times? In a year? In a month? In a week? In an hour? You know, God said to his people, you ought to forgive someone 70 times seven. You know what the verse is saying? When a man falls... He completes the fall, and then he completely gets up. The righteous are not going to stay down. They're going to get right. God is saying when the righteous man completely blows it, he's going to get up and fight. You know what all that? Resilience. Resilience. Let me give you some thoughts about failure, what it is not. Number one, it's not avoidable. If you're a perfectionist, especially if you're a firstborn child, oh, how many firstborns do we have in the room? I love firstborns because we were made to be 30 years old when we were five. Is that not true? If you had younger siblings and your parents stepped outside, who was in charge of the younger kids? Who got whipped if the younger kids did wrong? That's why the Bible says the oldest should get a double portion. And so all you firstborns, may God bless you doubly tonight. Firstborns are wanting to please and strive so hard. And that's why their feelings can be hurt so often. Because they're working and focused at doing right. Let me just encourage all of you. Firstborn, secondborn, it doesn't make any difference. Failure is unavoidable. You're going to mess up. It's not an event. It's not a destination. It's not a lifestyle. Failure just shows that you are a depraved sinner. Failure is not an objective. It is subjective to someone's opinion. And if you're going to live in the opinion of your mate or the opinion of your parents, or the opinion of your friends, you're going to be a ping-pong ball being knocked around your entire life. 
Failure is subjective, and the only opinion we ought to be interested in is what God says. And if you get right with God, you will make peace with men. Failure is not the enemy. It's not a plague. Failure is not irreversible. Well, if you fail, you're going to ruin the rest of your life. Those are the famous words of parents. And parents, sometimes I think we actually injure our children far more than what the crime deserves. Because the truth of the matter is, we'll get up next week and say grace is greater than all our sin. Just because we fail doesn't necessarily mean it will ruin the rest of our life. It might make you unhappy, but it's not going to ruin that person the rest of his life. If he gets right with God, God can take what's left in that person's life and bless it and make it great. Do you know the man that we referred to more often than not in Scripture in the Old Testament is the man David. Many women in this room run to the book of Psalms when they're hurting. And yet if they were married to David, they probably couldn't even look at him. Do I speak the truth? I'm just trying to help you. And some of you are saying, wow, then Brother Humbert's giving us a license to sin. Well, let me give you two thoughts about that. A person that gets saved gets a new want to. He gets a new nature. He doesn't want to sin. And when he does, he wants to make it right. Not just to avoid consequences, but because he wants to be right with God. Amen. Number two, sin brings consequences that saved people don't want to endure. And those of you that have fallen into sin, those of you that have failed against uh, the commands of God, and you have suffered the consequences, you know whereof I speak. If anyone is motivated to live right, it's those of us that have gone down the wrong path for a short amount of time, because we say, whoa, been there, done that, not worth it. God is telling the truth. You don't believe me? Go ahead. You're going to find out I speak the truth because I'm speaking what God says. God only warns us against sin because he loves us. He's not trying to keep you from enjoying life. He's trying to help you enjoy life. And part of that is avoiding sin. Now, Joshua chapter 8 is one of those chapters that will help us get back on track. So if I was going to title the sermon tonight, I'm going to preach out of Joshua chapter 8, verse number 1, primarily, and I'm going to preach on getting back on track. So if you're looking for a title, several of you have asked me, what was the title of your sermon? Well, I told you, I feel very comfortable here in this church, and so a lot of times I'm just rambling, hallelujah, I'm taking a text and preaching it, okay? And uh, I told your preacher, I've been here so much, I've preached all my favorite sermons, and so you're making me work. I'm having to come up with some, some new stuff and work at it and rework it a little bit. So tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach, preach. You know the difference. 
You know the difference. But they're both good, huh? Come on, you know it. I want to help those of you that want to get back on track. And if you're on track right now, get moving. Some Christians feel like they can't serve God anymore. Come on, come on, come on. You can be on the right track, but if you don't get moving, the devil's train is going to run you over. You need to get moving. And so the first thing I see, let's just read that. And the fear of the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. The first thing I see for someone that gets right with God, God offers encouragement. Now, your, your family may not, even some church members may not. They might avoid you because they have, like the Apostle Paul, when he first got saved, the believers, they were, they were afraid of him. They knew what his life was before. And just because he said he's a Christian, I'm not going to risk my life until I see a change in his life. So don't be worried about what other people think. Just serve God. Make it right with God, and God's going to encourage you. He says to Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Joshua, don't be afraid anymore. Joshua, don't be concerned about punishment. Joshua, don't be afraid to get back into battle. Joshua, just because you failed, don't be afraid to try again. Joshua, don't be afraid of the enemy just because they beat you the last time. Are you listening, folks? You fail, don't let the devil keep you down. The righteous fall, but they get back up on their feet. And God will give you a word of encouragement. The Bible says in Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. God is with you. Some of you think, well, I could never be the mate that I should be. I, too many mistakes, too long. I could never be involved in my kids' lives. Too many mistakes, too long. I could never be involved in church ministry. Too many mistakes, too long. Don't rule God out of your life. If you have just a little left of a good life, Give it to God. Little is much when God is in it. Make it right with God and accept his encouragement. Secondly, I see in verse number one, enlistment. Take all the people of war with thee and rise and go up to Ai. Listen, just because you fall into sin doesn't mean the war is over. The devil, oh, Oh, yeah, we got three of those church members. We got 15 of those church members. Good. Whew, let's just take a break in the war. No, the war keeps going on. The enemy is out to destroy. And if the devil has taken you out for a short period of time and you get right with God, get re-enlisted. Get on the, the right side and fight for the Lord. The enemy does not wait for you to get right with God. The fight continues. We need more AWOL soldiers to get back on track tonight. Just because you're not serving the Lord doesn't mean the battle has subsided. 
We need everybody to get involved in the Lord's work. Some of you have been shot. Some of you have been wounded. Some of you have deserted God. Some of you have failed God. Get healed up. Get back in the ranks and help us whip the enemy. If anyone ought to re-enlist for battle, it ought to be those of us that have been taken out by the enemy. If anyone ought to have a drive in their heart, it ought to be those that learn the hard way that our enemy is real, that our enemy is a destroyer, that our enemy is a liar. And because of that, we want to get healed up, patched up, duct tape, anything that gets us back on track and get back on the front lines. Thirdly, I see an emphasis, verse number one again. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. Guaranteed victory. Look at verse two. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Wow, that's encouraging to me. Just because I failed once, the enemy whipped me doesn't mean that enemy is always going to whip me. The man that says, I can't conquer this sin, I can't conquer this sin, doesn't want to conquer that sin. The truth of the matter is, we are more than conquerors. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from us. We can win, and God says here, I'm going to give you the victory. Go back at it. I'm going to help you win this time, and just like you beat Jericho, you're going to whip Ai. Second Chronicles 32 says, But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Psalm 44, Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. God emphasized that victory was still theirs for the taking. God emphasized that he still wanted them to serve him. God emphasized that he would still use them. Are you getting the message tonight? If you get your life right with God, he still wants to use you. You want revival? You want your land to be healed? Humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. And get back up. Turn from your wicked ways and get back up. I've heard people saying, I don't mean to be critical, especially if you're in a sensitive time, but listen to me. And don't let my boldness or my passion offend you. I've heard people say to me, I don't know if I can forgive myself. You're not God. Quit trying to be God. Where does it find in the Bible anywhere that, that you're ever to forgive yourself? You're not going to stand before yourself at the judgment. Our concern ought to be our great God, our heavenly Father, 
And if he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, then accept his forgiveness tonight and be thankful for it. You say, well, it's, it's hard, preacher. You don't understand. How do you know I don't understand? I'm made of the same stuff as you. And the only way I can ever get over the hump, the only way I can ever get back on my feet is to believe God. And if God says he's going to forgive me, then I'm going to believe him. By the way, that's how this new life ever got started. God said if I would just call upon him, he would save me from all my sin. And folks, he hasn't changed. God called these men who had failed him, and now he's using them for victory. I love Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are just as if we'd never sinned. A few years ago, I was, we live in a little town, Moni. I was coming into town. The speed limit drops from 55 to 40, just like that. No warning, no signs that say, you know, speed limit's going to decrease. But I made the trip so many times, had the habit, cruise control, 55, get to town, hit the 40, go through town. I'm going through Moni, and all of a sudden I see a, happy policeman celebrating something. His lights were flashing. And so I just keep on going, and um, next thing I know, he's riding right behind me. And I'm, I'm still going. All of a sudden, he gave me one of those. I look up. And so I pull over. Comes out. Comes up to me. Oh, wants to see my license. I said, officer, what? What's the problem? He said, well, you were doing 65 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. I said, officer, I was doing 55 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, but I was doing 40 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. He said, well, I clocked you at 65 in a 40. And I said, could I see the, could I see the uh, speed gun? He said, I've already erased it. So I didn't say anything, and he wrote me a little note inviting me to go see a judge. So there was a date of celebration, and so I got there, and I was feeling pretty confident that this, this was crazy. I know what I was doing. But when I got to the, to the courthouse, all of a sudden I got nervous. I was nervous, first of all, that I might run into some other church members. <laughs> that I didn't want to have to explain. And so I go into the courtroom, and of course we're just sitting there, and they call people up by name, and, and, and I'd never seen this done before, and they, it's kind of like a, an assembly line almost. You go over here, they call your name, and you go over and you sign in, register, and, and then you go back, and then they call you up, and then you go, and you stand before someone, and judge hears somebody, and chomp, 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 and that's out the door. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm getting a little nervous. I'm looking around to see if there's any other church members. There's none in there, and I praise God for that. And then I'm looking for anybody I might have witnessed to in the last month or so, and thinking, oh, no, this wouldn't be good for the testimony. And 
And so I look around, all of a sudden I hear Bruce Humbert. So I go up and stand, and someone smacked something on the table and shoved the paper over and, and said, go down there. And, you know, and it's happening so quick. I, and, and I was totally ignorant on the process. And so I just went over here, and, and then someone shoved the paper over there and said, just go over here. And so I went over here, and I never even got to stand before the judge. Man, I was going to tell the judge the whole story because I, I knew I hadn't been speeding. I knew, I mean, there was no, and not only that, but the police officer didn't even show up to court. So I'm looking for my accuser. And so finally a lady handed me a pen. She said, have a good day, Mr. Humbert. And I said, well, what do you mean? Have a good day. Don't I get to talk to the judge? No. She said it was dismissed. What, what do you mean dismissed? She said, it was just like you never did it. I said, I didn't do it. <laughs> so she gave me, so I took the paper and I'm still, kind, it just happened way too fast for my mind to process all this. And so I'm walking out and my legs are really quivering and I want to shout glory, hallelujah, nah, 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 to you and... <clears throat> I get outside, and two Richmond Park police officers, guys I know, they're coming in, and uh, they said, Reverend, what are you doing here? And so I said, oh, man, let me tell you my story. They just told me that I'm dismissed. He said, you better not go anywhere. There'll be, there'll be a warrant for your arrest. What, 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 what? They were playing with me. <laughs> and I said, you've got to be kidding and they said, no, man, you don't, you don't get off that easily. You better go in there. So I go back in there, and I told the lady, and, and I said, My, those police officers, and she said, they're just fooling with you. It's, ne it's like it never, ever happened. Go home. That's what justified means. Just as if it never happened. And better than that, just as if you never would have done it. Man, when we're justified in God's court of law, when he looks at Bruce Humbert, he doesn't see one single sin. You know who will point out your sin? Revelation tells us the accuser of the brethren. Way too many of God's people are doing the work of the devil, holding people back from getting on the front lines again, pulling them up, bringing up their past. Are you listening? God wants to use us. We're justified, we're forgetting. Let me give you two more thoughts. What time? Okay. Eagerness, verse 3. So Joshua arose. Man, he got the word. Woo! Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. Psalm 51 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. A Christian, a true born-again believer, if you're saved tonight, you're truly born again. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have a new nature that wants to serve the Lord. It's just we get a new want to. 
a backslidden Christian, he longs for the old days of serving the Lord. A forgiven and a restored saint will be eager to serve God with all his might. Some of the best soldiers in God's army are those who have gotten a second chance. We had a lady in our church, her name was Nancy King. She's probably the most spoken member, spoken of member in the history of our church. Our church has been in existence for over 50 years. And outside of my dad, church members to this day, many never met her, but they've heard of her. Heard of a lady named Nancy King. That woman was a gifted and talented and smart lady. She got saved as a young girl. Got away from the Lord. Ruined a marriage. Distanced herself from the things of God and, and a godly lifestyle. Was invited to a Baptist church and all the criticism that we get for preaching hellfire and brimstone. Quite frankly, God's people love that kind of preaching. But she got her heart right with God. And the burden of sin again was lifted from her. The consequences of sin were numerous. The joy of the Lord came back into her heart. She started attending our church and very quietly got involved in the house cleaning ministry. Before long, she was involved in the music ministry because so many people invited her to be in the choir. Isn't it nice to see a full choir? It really is. And choir members, don't you like just being up there? Isn't it just a joy? I mean, I mean, granted, some of you can't sing. I've been up there a couple of nights, and some of you can't sing, but don't let that stop you. The Bible does say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, does it not? And if you love the Lord, then let it rip. But I'm going to tell you one thing, a full choir looks better than a trio. You got 20 chairs up there, you ought to have 22 people up there. And you folks, you don't realize it, but when visitors come in and they see a full choir, that makes a statement. Don't get content sitting in your pew doing absolutely nothing. Anyway, that's enough. Nancy got in the choir to find out she was a talented girl musically. She had, she had retired. She had a great career with Bell Telephone, Ma Bell. For you young people, that's AT&T. She was an executive with them, smart girl. In the house cleaning ministry, she got to where everything in our church is organized. She organized everything, put labels everywhere where everything went. To this day, we still have seven acres of property, and I forget how many thousands of uh, square feet, all maintained by volunteers. 
And I'm a perfectionist. So we don't take as good as you can do. We expect the way it's supposed to be. In her music, she started singing, and then she asked if she could start an ensemble. Very meek girl, didn't, didn't want any compliments, didn't want any public recognition, but kept serving the Lord, adding to that workload. Preachers brag about their music. They brag about whatever's good in their church to other preachers, just like parents brag about their kids. Now, we brag a lot more spiritual than you do. We we always say, you know, God has blessed us with such and such. What we're saying is, we got this and you don't. Ha, ha, ha. Well, when other preachers start bragging, I just say, we got something you don't have. We have a female barbershop quartet. Top that. And they were good. That was Nancy Key. I once commended her from the pulpit, and she just wept. After the service, she came up. She said, please, don't ever do that again. I said, Nancy, why, why won't you let anyone show their appreciation? And then she told me her life story. She said, I just thank God that he had used me. Every summer, her own expense, she'd fly to France, stay there at least a month, sometimes two months, work in the, our French missionaries' youth camp and summer camp as a cook. Didn't know, didn't know French, but she knew how to cook and she knew how to organize a kitchen. And what she did in our church and organized everything in our church she went over there and belong, organized everything there. I'm just saying, folks, the effect of a restored Christian can't be exaggerated. God says you can have the victory. And when you fail, and by the way, you ought to give this message to anyone that you know that has drifted from God and they feel like they can't ever serve God. Yes, they can. I want to remind you, some of your fellow soldiers, out of jealousy or resentment, or they've got issues going on in their life too. They may not receive you open arms, but my, oh my, your heavenly Father will. Victory was promised. Victory was experienced. Look in verse 26. For Joshua drew not his hand back wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants, all the inhabitants of Ai. I'm telling you, when you get back on track, the effect is going to be really good. We had a family in our church, perhaps one of our closest friends to this day. I remember when I took over the church. Now, please don't misquote or misunderstand. I was young 
And I'm sure I made a lot of dumb mistakes. I don't know what they were. I thought I was perfect. But I'm sure I made a few. But as a family, a church family, we did work well together for decades. But when I first started, one of our, one of our best members, I mean, they were close to our family. They got offended with some of the music. Some of the music that our junior choir, that Laura and I led, and thought it was worldly. And I'm telling you, folks, it was as worldly as this chair. It wasn't worldly. And they left the church quietly. They didn't stir up a lot of trouble, but they left the church. And I asked them, and they told me, and I said, but that's, why didn't you come to me first? We could have, maybe it would, to me, I don't care. Uh, I'll get rid of that. I'd rather have you than that music. It's not that big of a deal to me. They'd already had their mind made up. And then I remember what my dad told me. My dad told me, when people leave your church, whatever reason they tell you is the reason, the only thing you can be sure of is that's not the reason. And there's just some things we as humans and we as preachers have no control of. Those of you that have multiple children, do you not pretty much raise them all the same way? And yet they all have different personalities and thoughts, and you're thinking, who is your father? I didn't begat you. You know what I'm saying? And so it is even in a church. And so I just loved on that guy. He needed to go or he would have caused division in the church. I, sometimes I told some of our people, hey, you might be right, I might be wrong, but I do know this, God hates those that sow discord. And so if you're going to sow discord, either you need to leave or I need to leave. Not because one's better than the other. We just don't want to hurt God's church. The church is more important than any of us. And so I would send them notes from time to time. Three months later, they're sitting in the back of the auditorium. And when that says, good to see you again, that's all I said. They started coming on Sunday nights. And then they came to me, and in a very quiet, they're quiet people anyway, and said, Preacher, we were wrong. We won't cause any more problems. Well, they didn't cause me any problems anyway. They were tight-lipped. They didn't talk to people. And thank God there was no social media back then. Social media has done more damage to the church You know what? That man went years, would not become a deacon. But he was one of the best deacons we ever had without being a deacon. Today, if, I, if you would go to our church and say, list the top five men, the top five couples in the church, 
they would be one. Not a, I'm not exaggerating. And finally, one year I went to him. I said, I don't know what your reason is why you won't serve as a deacon, but whatever it is, I'm asking you to get over it and pray about it because I need you. And then he served as a deacon. I'm telling you, when you get things right, you don't have to sit in the shadows. Nothing wrong with sitting in the shadows. But if God needs you on the front line, get there. Get there. And I want to encourage this church, take it up a notch, would you? We're living in a world that's afraid of COVID, afraid of politicians, afraid to come out. Afraid of everything. God hasn't given his people a spirit of fear. Get out there and attack the gates of hell. God assured this church the gates of hell can't prevail against you. You know what that means? It can't stop you. Only you can stop you. And when you stop soul winning and Stop serving God. It's not because the enemy's too great. It's because you're lazy or you're involved in sin. Get your sin confessed, forsaken, and get back on track. If, my people, is that not the key word in that verse? If, my people, if, huh, if, that's the middle word in life. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and can I say, get back on track, then, then will I hear from heaven and heal the land. Well, we've sure enjoyed being with you people. But I pray you'll be doers of the word and not hearers only. Sunday, will you be a committee of one? Don't count on your husband. Don't count on your wife. Don't count on your kids. Don't count on any other family. Be a committee of one. You're the chairman of your committee. You get to be in charge. And you tell that committee, we're going to have a visitor in church this Sunday. All in favor, say aye. aye. Let's get after it. Let's fill this place up. Let people hear the truth and the gospel. And may God revive your Will you stand to your feet? And if you're all in on this and God has spoken to your heart, then one more time, let's just have an old-fashioned prayer meeting, okay? We're not playing games, not trying to be smooth and slick. We want the power of God displayed. So let's just have an old-fashioned prayer meeting. I mean, I want those young kids praying. If they can sing that good, I'll bet they can pray too. You come and pray for your preacher and pray for your church.
and then pray for the people that God lays on your heart that you're going to invite for this Sunday, okay? You got four or five days. I don't know how many days. You figure it out, but you got a few days to get after it. Let's get back on track. Father, would you forgive us of our sin? And for some, it might be a really big one that's really hurt them and hurt others. It might be a small little sin like Achan's. I mean, who cares? But you do. Father, help us to confess and forsake. And then get back on track. You said if we would humble ourselves, if we would pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you said you would hear us and heal our land. Would you do so tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's just get to the altar or make an altar where you're at. Let's pray and ask God to help us as a church to get back on track.